The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition. With Gary Ray, in our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray. Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network Radio. Your intro music today is an introduction to our special guest that will be with us in just a couple of minutes. Today is November 11th, 2014. That's right, it's Veterans Day. We would like to say thank you to all our veterans for their service and officially make every day Veterans Day. How's that sound? <laughs> I'm your host, Gary Ray. And I have a couple of co-hosts with me today. Uh, And just to mention them, we have Staff Sergeant Charles Eggleston, U.S. Army. He served multiple tours in Iraq. He also served as Maryland State Commander for the Military Order of the Purple Heart. And he mentors and helps other wounded warriors with TBI and uh, PTSD, uh, actually through the game of golf. Good morning, sir. How you doing, sir? How you doing? Good. Good, good. We also have Lieutenant Colonel Bill Forbes, U.S. Army retired, former Deputy Secretary for the Maryland Department of Veterans Affairs, and former Commander for the Maryland DAV. How is it going this morning, sir? Just great this morning, Gary. All right. We also have Jim Klug. He's the National Historian, Photographer, and former PR Director for the Military Order of the Purple Heart. How are you doing this morning, Jim? Gary, wonderful, and uh, happy to join you and Charles here today, and I also join you in saluting all of our veterans. All right. Happy Veterans Day, guys. All right. Let's get to our guest right away. The song you heard at the beginning of the show is called Bodies. Please allow me to introduce the group Drowning Pool. And also, I just I want you to make, make you aware that the questions that we're going to ask you today is actually put on from, from, made by your number one fan out there, and they put this stuff together by asking uh, people right on, right on their Facebook page, you know, what kind of questions would you ask Drowning Pool if you did have a chance? Now, her name is Jeanette, and it is her birthday today, and she would love to hear you guys say happy birthday to her. Not sing it, just say it. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right. Thank you, guys. Well, she is my daughter. That's why I had to say that. All right. Uh, uh, all right. We know you guys are, you know, very big supporters of our military. What kind of things influenced you to help and develop the loyalty that you have to our men and women in the uniform? Go ahead, Mike. You got both of us on here. Man, it's just a real um, honor and a privilege for us to, to um, entertain the troops. I mean, we got started back in 2005. It was the first time we went over to Iraq and Kuwait. And um, it just started from a radio DJ in, out of Dallas. And um, we just had the opportunity to go over 
And ever since then, you know, we just we kept it going. I mean, we've done a lot of stuff with the USO. Uh, any chance we get while we're on tour, if we're anywhere close to it, any kind of base in the States, we, we like to stop off and, um, you know, shake hands and um, hang out with our troops, man. And, uh, again, it's a great opportunity. We're, we're very fortunate to do it, and, and it's the least we can do to give back for everyone who's um, who served. Uh, that's that's great. Yeah. Now, uh, Charles, you being uh, you know multiple duty in um, uh, Iraq, um, uh, tell us about uh, your experiences with um, uh, drowning pool. Uh, well, I think I think it's a a great group. Uh, it caught me off guard the first time I heard it, and I was like, <laughs> man, these guys are, are definitely unique. You know, I one of these RB soul type guys, but just the energy. And the message that you actually get out of it. I mean, it was a great crossover for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just glad to be on the show, talk show with you and able to uh, pick your brain on what really makes you, y'all twerk when it comes to the, the veterans and the wounded warriors and the troops. And I, I think you had multiple tours over in Iraq yourself with the USO. So I was just wondering, that's my question to the drowning pool crew. Yeah, well, like like CJ was saying, it just it This is Mike. How you guys doing? Everybody good? It's great. Good, good. Hey, Mike. All right, man. And it, it, it is. It's an honor every time. And and honestly, just it was kind of something when we were first asked. But like CJ said in 2005, it hit us, you know, straight in the face, point blank, and we went, you know what? Yeah. And and I'll be honest. I mean, we were a little bit scared in the very early beginning. But then once we got there, I, I'll be honest, and when I say there, we, we first went to Kuwait. From Kuwait, we went to Iraq, and that was our, our first introduction into uh, the USO and doing tours um, for the troops uh, overseas. But I'll be honest, you know, even amidst, you know, whatever you, as a civilian, you may have seen on TV or read or heard, once you got, you know, in the midst of the military and with the guys, the men and women, I never felt more safe and started to feel like I was actually, you know, a little bit a part of something. And whereas before, excuse my French, you know, we were four lucky jackasses that got to play, you know, rock and roll for, you know, a living. And we just kind of fell backwards into a good situation with the band. But then when we were asked to go over, and play and entertain the troops. It just became such this humbling experience, and it kind of opened our eyes to just like a bigger picture, a worldly picture of things that you know we we would have never gotten to experience. And, and since we've experienced that, it's just made going over every time, like I said, such a no-brainer. Any and every time we can, we do it, and it's it's an honor for us. And, and we thank you guys. It's our way of, you know, saying thank you for everything that you guys do. And it, it really is such a humbling and honorable experience. And thank you guys and thank all the veterans everywhere. Yeah. And that's I, I really appreciate that because when uh, you, got, you guys came over, I believe you came up to a uh, base called up in northern Iraq where the, the big ISIS forces are now, uh, QS. And yeah. it was... Yeah, you. I'm, I remember running into running into you up there, and um, they flew your guys in on a helicopter. Y'all touched down, and looked like the helicopter was about to take back off. 
because <laughs> it was mortars coming in on the eastern end. Y'all didn't see it, but we we on base looking and going, man, these guys will get blown out the air. And, and you know, we basically looking at the mortars stop at a certain point thinking they was going to try to daisy walk them into the helipad where you guys actually was about to get off the helicopter. And then y'all jumped off, and it was just rushing y'all to you go. And then someone else threw your bags out and that kind of stuff. But it takes more It takes more heart to be unarmed and not a soldier to come to give soldiers and, and troops just a, a, a piece of home, no matter what the music is. Music is universal. But it's just, it's just you are the, the true heroes that came to, see, to give us just a glimpse of civilization just for a minute. Because believe me, we were in Iraq at that time was not civilized. And it was a, it was a burning pool. Not a drowning pool, but a burning pool. Wow. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I got I to gotta, I gotta parrot that same thing. Guys, uh, you can't imagine uh, having been there in 67 in Vietnam to get a glimpse of something from home and what you brought our troops. Um, you, you couldn't put a price on it. There's, there's no way to put a price on it. And Charles is obviously our, our, uh, our patriot hero here that, uh, here he is, you know, evidence of that and, and had there been there to witness it. And I've got to say thank you. God bless you for doing what you're doing. You're supporting our troops and you're taking it to your heart and you're putting the money where the mouth is. You're showing up and taking your time to make, make a difference in these guys and these women's lives. Thank you. Right. Absolutely. I, well, like, well, I mean, thank you guys. I mean, I mean, it really. Like I said, it's no brainer. I mean, we, we've been over a few times, and it, it's—I mean, it, there's no question. And when you hear guys say, "Hey, thanks for coming over," you know, it, it shows. It shows to us. It proves to us that you know people back home haven't forgotten about us. And and that's what yep. sticks with me and with us. It makes you want to just go back the next time as quickly as you can and put on a better show than you did the first time. So. I, I mean, I, I humbly accept, but thank you guys. I'm honestly. You're welcome, sir. You're welcome. You know, what's what's really uh, unique here is that you're also pushed for medical care for our veterans. That's pretty cool. Um, and how did you go about that? I mean, you accomplished this how? Through uh, talking to politicians or? Yeah, we got with the IAVA, or, or rather, they reached out to us in their first um in the first beginnings. And again, it was just uh, another organization, uh, another way for us to be involved, to just bring some light, shed some light on, you know, getting health care, not just the health care and the proper care needed for our returning veterans, but, you know, to try to expedite it. I mean, it, it would just, it would take in upwards of six months, we heard, you know, in the beginnings for, for guys, gals to, you know, to get seen and treated properly. And it just, to us, it just sounded ridiculous that somebody that would, you know, put their, their lives out there for one another and to protect our interests back home would just return to, to that sort of, I, I, non-treatment, if you will, if you take my meaning. And it just needed, that needed to be fixed. And the IAVA was was presenting that, and we got involved with those guys, you know, even uh, our current president and and then Senator Obama, we met with him and and 
at Capitol Hill and presented a petition at the time. Um, I mean, with over 30,000 some odd signatures, I think we had gotten from a, a campaign we did online and, and just through awareness on our website through the band to, uh, just to bring that to the forefront. I mean, this, this was a, you know, some years ago now, but I mean, it, it's still, you know, it's, it's ever standing and it's just as true now as it was back then. And, and that was a, a big thing for us. You know, we all, most of us, if not all of us, come from military families in the band. And again, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but after having been there the first time and, then, you know, times going back, it just seems, I mean, to say unfair is just such a a lofty statement. To, to Unfair is just no way to put it in correct terms as to how, you know, you wanted to find out about, you know, guys and gals coming back and, and not just getting treated and, and not just in the proper fashion, but in a timely fashion. And it just needed to be fixed. Oh, wow. Yeah. No. It's, Sorry, it's great. guitar just went off in the background. Sorry, let me move. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> sound checking the instruments. All right. Yeah. It's great that a band like you had the guts to stand up and say that. In times uh, when other other groups, other bands, didn't even think twice, and they saw the same thing you seen, um, they worked probably worked. They've, it probably helped you a lot by working with Paul over at IVA, good friend of mine as well. And um, you know, it's it's a function. You, we we all we all in this fight together, whether you served or you serving those who served. So, I yeah, take my hat off to you again. I- I agree with you a hundred percent on that. One hundred, and you know we're we're not the only band. I'll, you know, I'll gladly, you know, wear it and carry the flag. We were one of the first bands, so maybe that's maybe that's why we were, you know, privy to it a little bit sooner and started getting a little more involved sooner. But we we have a lot of friends in other bands, you know, Seven Dust and Five Finger Death Punch, just to mention a couple of that. You know, they're, they're, they're very devout as well and uh, behind on military 100%. And, you know, we make no bones about it, and we get behind it, and we stand behind it. And, uh, I mean, with you 100%. So it's not just us. Right. Yeah. Well, but, but you started it. You started the ball of the bouncing. So that that's what you get credit for. So that, that works for me. All right. All right. <laughs> Now you also came up with uh, the song that we actually had the uh, at the beginning of the show, what was called "Bodies." How did you come up with that song? What, you know, tell me a little bit about it. Bodies was written when we were still coming up in the circuit, the club circuit in Dallas, and the lyric content specifically it was brought up. Um, Dave Williams, our, our singer, and it was basically just our tip of the hat to the crowd, to, you know, the, the mosh pit, to the energy level that we were getting from the crowd, you know, despite being on stage and those guys, you know, being in, in the pits and, and mixing it up and getting after it and getting crazy. You know, it was just, it, it, it was symbionts. You know, we both fed off of it. So the crazier the crowd got, the crazier the more into the show we got, and then they fed off of that. And it just became this this wild thing to experience. I mean, it, it was just really kinetic. 
between Dave, the band, the crowd. So that's that's where, you know, let the bodies hit the floor specifically. It's about mm-hmm. uh, the mosh pit. It's it's not anything about, hey, knock down that dude next to you. It's more like, <laughs> you know, you're in, you're, back in the day they said, you know, let's go to the hop, and everybody's saying that. Well, instead of that, we're a little more aggro about it. We get into it, let the bodies hit the floor. You know, it's just this... This anthem for us of like, all right, let's get it on, ring the bell, let's get after it, and uh, and military all over the place just sort of embraced that song and took it, and you know we we couldn't have been prouder, and I mean crank it to eleven, I mean we we met guys from Florida to anywhere, you know inside the tanks and out out in the fields, and you know that that was their that was their battle cry, that was the tune, or or it still is. So, uh, yeah, if that thing keeps you alert, keeps you on your toes, keeps you chin up, crank that thing to 11, and, and don't let anybody tell you different. <laughs> yeah, go. Great. All right. Now, you also had another one uh, that I want to hear what kind of responses had from our military, which is titled Soldier. Mm-hmm. That was pretty popular. Well, that, again, uh, I mean, Bodies was, you know, written for the mosh pit, but then embraced by the military. Whereas after we had gone over on our first visit um, to play for the troops, when we came back home, we just, I mean, I guess a sculptor would have, you know, sculpted something. Uh, you know, a writer would have written a poem or a painter would have, you know, created this piece of artwork. Our, our, our way of, I mean, it seemed like, you know, the natural thing for us to do would be to write a song and soldiers was, was that tune, you know, um, it was just our tip of the hat this time to our, our military, to our guys and girls, you know, that, that go out there and take it to it every day. We just, we felt so humbled by the whole thing. And, and so, you know, even though we're just four guys and, you know, in the, the grand real world scheme of things kind of, you know, insignificant, you know, amongst all the real world problems. We just felt like we had been brought into like this, you know, this higher piece of importance that was happening. So, you know, it just, we were compelled to write a tune and it was just, you know, just a guttural tune, you know, very organic. We were in the rehearsal room. And it just it just came out pretty naturally, and, and it's a fun tune to play. And anytime we can, you know, we we try to bring it back out, and, you know, get it up on the set list, knock the dust off, and again turn it up to eleven and jam it. <laughs> how did the how did the, how did the um, veterans over there uh, in Iraq, Afghanistan? How did it? Uh, how did they take that when when you sang that over there? You know, it's it's ah. Uh, it's it's just like I said, it's it's hard to put into words. I mean, you can't yeah. really describe. The, it's kind of selfish of me to say what uh, what a buzz I got from it to play. It, it's it's such a oh man, how do I? I sound like an idiot right now trying to explain this, but it's, it's so hard to explain because you, you wrote a song that was based off your experience of going over to play and try to give a little bit something back to these guys and girls that do everything for you and abroad and that they're there and they sometimes are there for so long that they think that, you know, 
the people back home have forgotten. So your your little insignificant little tune that you try to write to come up with, they say thank you, and then a year later you go back over and you play it in front of that same crowd that you wrote it for. It's just it was all full circle, and it's just unbelievable. It's it's a very surreal feeling. And you really, it's its too hard to put into words. It's just such, I mean, you almost jump out of your skin in the song yeah. in front of, I mean, just thousands of guys and girls in their camos with, you know, all of, all the gear and just going crazy and going just nuts for it. It's just unbelievable. It's, 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 it's really crazy. I'm starting to get a little... All choked up about the whole thing. It's, it's kind. Of, it's, it's taking me back. It, it's it's really wild. It, it's crazy, crazy stuff. I'm just a drummer in a rock and roll band, and we were, you know, brought into and, and got to experience and see these. I, I just don't think people understand and fully grasp the gravity of it all. And then when you get to go back and you're invited back because you know the band that you're in and the songs that you've written, you know, kind of you know, strike a chord with guys and girls. And it, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's really unbelievably cool. And I, I, it's hard to put into words. I'm not a very poetic guy, as you can see. So it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's palpable. I think you can hear that, but it, it's just to, to try to describe it to somebody not having, you know, experienced it firsthand is really, really tough, but I know you guys get it. And that's why I was sitting there talking about it. And I know the people listening, are going to get it and totally relate to it. And it's awesome. I mean, it's an well, awesome, awesome thing. You right. brought hope right. and home to them that were there. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, they gave, us a break. they gave us a break just for a second. Uh, wow. They're jamming. Our mind yep. went away from the actual war. Yeah. And yeah. we got into the session. Was they called the jam session that these yeah. gentlemen was doing so you know for me to to you guys and the guys that's with with us uh we really appreciate it because we had a chance to just let our hair down you know you did see a bunch of us wearing guns and stuff still in case something breaks out we have to get back to work but you know we was enjoying ourselves and that's what mm-hmm. what's the thing it was so heavy it was so awesome <laughs> it was so cool <laughs> It was yeah. so bad. I mean, it, that's what I'm saying. It's just so surreal. It was so unbelievably cool. And just th- thank you guys so much for not just, you know, doing everything it is you guys do without a second thought day after day, you know, waking up every morning and doing it, but allowing and bringing us in and just letting us experience a little bit of it as well. So, I, I mean, it just, I honestly think it, it makes a person a better person, you get you, you enrich your soul a little bit by the whole experience of it, and that's why, you know, I'll keep saying it. You know, it's a no-brainer for us anytime and every time we can. I, you know, I'll, I know I sound like a broken record about it, but I, I really can't say it enough ever. Hey, Gary, th- this is Bill, and I just want to say to the group, thank you for your service to our troops on the battlefield. And and please remember, when we return home, where we take the uniform off and we put our weapons down, some of the greatest challenges that we'll be facing comes about when we get home. You can still be of service to us, write more music, 
sing more music, even if it's songs of protest to help our men and women who serve this great country. I think you guys can continue to be a great asset and continue to serve us uh, in our status of veterans. Yep. I agree. All right. All right. Yep. Yeah. Again, our guest, Drowning Pool, and it's an honor to have you guys on. Uh, really appreciate the time that you've given to us. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we before we go? I'm just on an unwavering, undying support and, and gratitude. I, I mean, a thousand times over. It's it's again. It's it's really hard to just put it into words, but it, it just. It means the world to us. It honestly really, really does. I, I think it, it makes us better better guys, you know, better people, better significant others to our, to our families because of being just brought in and accepted. And just, just thank you. I mean, thank you very, very much to everybody out there listening to this. I, I can never say it enough. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you again for the support of our military. I think that's the bottom line. You're listening to the American Heroes Network Radio, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back with our next guest. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. You know, welcome back. We ended our first half hour with the band Drowning Pool. Just want to thank them once again for taking the time out of their busy concert tour to be on the American Heroes Radio on Veterans Day. Thanks, guys. We have two outstanding guests with us today uh, in our second half hour. We have Sergeant Mark Helenowski, United States Marine Corps veteran, served from 2003 to 2014, married to Mandy with two children. They live in Parma, Ohio. He graduated from Valley Forge High 
and he graduated from, uh, I believe it's pronounced Cuyahoga Community College. Cuyahoga right. Community College, that's correct. <laughs> All right. The electrician with the IBEW, Local 38 Cleveland. All right. While in the United States Marine Corps, he served with the 3rd of the 25th during repeated deployments, including 2005. He, he survived Hadaika, a hospital ambush, on 7 May 2005. Bill, you want to go over with the second guest? Yes, we all remember Meriwether Ball, author of the Puller Chronicles, advocate journalist, founder and CEO of Core Stories, nonprofit online, United States Marine Corps News 2002, the present, a USNR veteran, 1999 to 2001, newspaper reporter, 1998 to 2005, she lives in Virginia, right in my backyard here in Maryland. <laughs> Originally from Washington in the District of Columbia, welcome, Mary Weather. Thanks welcome, for having Mary. me. Really honored right. to be back. Thank you. All right. You know, there are many, many unrewarded acts of heroism that need to be brought to light. Sergeant Mark Kalinowski, a United States Marine veteran and survivor of the uh, Hideka, a hospital ambush is just one of these stories. Good morning, Mark, and good morning, Meriwether, and happy Veterans Day. Like I mentioned earlier on the show, that every day is Veterans Day. <laughs> it is. Thank you. That's right. Mark or Meriwether, where would you like to start? I think, I think what I'd like to do is to tell you why we're here today and then um, ask Mark to recap what happened um, on 7 May 2005. Is that good? Sure, that'll work. So <clears throat> there was uh, 16 Marines with the Mobile Assault Platoon 7. Um, in May of 2005, they had, um, sur- they had engaged and survived a tremendous ambush. And they allowed me the next year to interview all of the survivors and do a special assignment for Core Stories. Easily the most important special assignment I've done in my 15 years of journalism, and also the hardest. So that ran, and it got a lot of great feedback, and I think it it helped a lot of us, and certainly a lot of readers were touched by it. But this year, I've been revisiting some of the important people I interviewed, and easily the most heroic Marine I have ever met is um, now a lieutenant, Jeff Schuler. At the time of the Hadaipa Hospital ambush, he was the gunner in the Humvee that Mark was in. And he, because Mark was able to, despite being um, severely wounded in his dominant hand, um, Mark was able to provide ammo, and Schuler was able to hold off the enemy when they were in completely surrounded situation. They had lost um, 11 Marines, um, were either wounded, severely wounded, or killed. Um, And so I thought it would be so wonderful to find out how Schuler had mustanged up and become an officer. Well, he wouldn't talk. When I went to meet him, he said he would do the interview. He said, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Kalinowski. And I said, Talk. So he did, and that's when I learned, and I regretted not understanding this at the beginning, eight years earlier, 
So really, had it not been for Kalinowski um, and his ability to stay calm in the situation and provide ammo, there would have been gaps in Schuler's firing on the enemy that surrounded all of them and allowed them to collect their wounded and fallen and retreat. And um, so I didn't understand all that. So when Schuler made all that clear, I said, well, you know, we need to, to look at this a little closer. What award did Cal get? And he said he, did, he wasn't awarded. Well, that, of course, made this advocate journalist <laughs> pretty upset. And then I collected all of the rest of the Marines from that event who survived, and they all backed up and expressed the same anger. And they had, had been carrying this anger for a long time. So I said, you know, being <clears throat> older and perhaps louder in a gracious way, I said, something has to be done about this. So I went to my senior Marine officer advisors, and I said, what can be done? Can, can he be considered for an award now? And they said, yes. So one thing led to another. Um, Brady, who was the platoon commander, um, Gunnery Sergeant Michael Brady, um, wrote um, this. He had written several citations, but they had never gone before the board for reasons unknown. Um, he wrote a new citation, and in the end, it should just be that Sergeant Kalinowski's award should be um, right there with um, now Lieutenant Schuler's Silver Star and Todd Corbin's Navy Cross and uh, two or three other uh, Bronze Stars with V for Valor that occurred out of that same event. And so I went to Senator Ted Cruz of Texas because two of these Marines um, live there. And his staff member, who is a Mr. Um, Javier Salinas, was all about it. He was so absolute that they would request a congressional inquiry on behalf of Mark Kalinowski. Now, the point of the show is not to raise Mark up because he would never tolerate such a thing. As a matter of fact, it took a lot of prodding to ask him to come on this show because he's so incredibly humble. But the point is, there are many people who did great things in battle, who have not been properly awarded. And this show is for them. This show is for all of the people who perhaps know someone who should be recognized um, and have not been for one reason or another, but perhaps now could be. So thank you for having us. But I would love it if Cal would tell um, sort of the short story of what happened in those 40 minutes in hell on 7 May 2005. Sure. Um, well, a uh, little background. The day leading up to uh, May 7th, our platoon was on a 24-hour uh, patrol. So the following day after that patrol, we were put on uh, QRF, which is a way of giving us uh, a, a time to decompress, relax, get some laundry done. Uh, our comp platoon had ran a phone wire from the COC to our uh, birthing area. There was a hotline in case we were needed. Uh, the phone would ring, uh, just like a fire bell in a fire station. Uh, we'd mount up and uh, head out to 
wherever we needed to to go. So I remember that day uh, we, did, it, we were able to get some laundry done, uh, do some uh, maintenance on our vehicle. Uh, at the time, Corporal Schuler, now Lieutenant Schuler, he pulled me aside and took me down to the motor pool with our vehicle. And uh, we had found that uh, we just, uh, some material just arrived in to uh, upgrade our turret. Since I was a machine gunner, I was, you know, very happy to to see something like that. Uh, the turret I used to have, I guess if you would uh, imagine a 55-gallon drum, cut it in half vertically, uh, that's what surrounded me. And then I had a face plate on my machine gun, so I had some armor available to myself, but this new upgraded armor kit uh, gave me almost 360 degrees protection. Uh, it had bulletproof glass on it. Um, the only way I could get injured, I felt, was if I swung the weapon around to the one side, left or right, there's a small gap where, uh, where some shrapnel could enter. But I'm thinking to myself, oh, geez, what are the chances of anything like that happening? So we mounted the, uh, the turret on that vehicle that morning, went back, uh, did some other things, and sure enough, that phone rings, the hotline. So we all look at each other and, you know, uh, hurry up to gather all the members from our platoon. Sergeant Watkins hauls off to, uh, to the COC to receive the mission, uh, get information while the rest of our Marines gather our vehicles up, get all our uh, equipment mounted, um, you know, do a quick, quick check, uh, PMMs, PMEs, uh, we're ready to roll out the gate, and uh, I believe there was like a half-hour delay. I don't remember the the details of everything now. It, it has been nine years, and uh, I, I lose track of some of the details. But I know we had uh, tanks attached to us, so maybe there was a delay in getting the coordination of uh, what our plan was and how to link up with the tanks. So. By the time we answered the phone call, I believe we were outside the gates within 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So in that time, there's a lot of uh, people looking at each other, Marines looking at each other, and what are we doing? Uh, we linked up with the tanks. We're at the gate, ready to go. I remember we added a uh, couple members to our uh, platoon as we were rolling out the gate. Uh, uh, Staff Sergeant Priestley at the time, he rode in my vehicle. Um, I guess Falusa, uh, Lance Corporal Falusis was another member that uh, was an organic to MAP-7, but we took him on as a body. We had, other, uh, we had other Marines from our platoon. They were involved with Team America doing a perimeter patrol that day, so we had to um, piecemeal together uh, some bodies to go out on, on this patrol. Uh, I remember rolling through the street, my heart beating uh, real fast. Uh, this was something that we knew we were we were moving forward to contact. So we're rolling down the streets of Haditha, and I was uh, the gunner of Victor Four uh, with uh, Corporal Schuler's vehicle. Uh, we had Staff Sergeant Priestley in my vehicle, Doc Weiner, and Sergeant Marzano. Uh, we were supposed to go down an alley, and uh, we had a Blue Force tracker and a map, but the GPS and real-time feedback 
I guess there was a delay between the signals, the transmission and receival of the signal. I guess we overshot the uh, area in which we were supposed to go and uh, run our patrol. So Sergeant Watkins uh, halted the uh, the convoy, had us turn around. We had Marines dismount, and this was a standard SOP for our platoon to dismount some Marines, prefer, uh, provide some security, uh, eyes on the ground. Uh, we also had to move maneuver two tanks and get them turned around and head back to go down uh, down this avenue alley, a uh, little street, whatever was was on the uh, Blue Force tractor. So as we're turning around, I'm securing my area of responsibility with my machine gun. And uh, if you remember how I said there was that small little area, if I had my face plate turned to the left or right, I would be uh, be exposed a little bit. Well, my heart was racing at this point. I remember clearing off my goggles. This, my goggles had steamed up. I'm looking over the top of my gun. I lifted my goggles up just a little bit until uh, I could uh, get the steam out from the goggles, and then I can see clearly again. And at that moment, uh, as I put my goggles back on about a second, I'm right over the top of my machine gun, uh, securing my area of uh, responsibility. Uh, it just felt like somebody had hit me in the left wrist with a baseball bat, and uh, it was a piece of shrapnel. We had a, a suicide vehicle IED come out of the alley, uh, they careened off the wall, and when they detonated, they detonated right by Victor One, which was our lead lead vehicle. Lance Corporal Graham was the gunner of that vehicle. Uh, he was ejected out of the uh, seat, the turret that he was in, uh, because of the the force of the explosion that sheared off the canopy of the vehicle. Um, Corporal Mayer's vehicle that's, uh, you know, Graham is the gunner. Corporal Mayer is is the uh, driver. Sergeant Watkins was in that vehicle. He was our platoon sergeant. Uh, so all of our at the time of this explosion, all of our dismounts were were wounded severely. In fact, four of the dismounts were killed. Uh, I like to think that it, it happened uh, quickly for them. I don't want to think about the the pain and suffering that they would have endured, but uh, I could still hear screaming and yelling and a hellish amount of uh, bullets coming our way. When I was injured at that at the time of that explosion, I dropped from my turret. It, uh, it slammed me back. I fell down. I knew something was wrong with me. I didn't know what it was at the time, so I just kind of kicked myself to the back of the Humvee. Uh, Schuler was, was driving the vehicle, so he's in the right behind the wheel, sitting down, and he's asking me what, what happened. I was like, I don't know. We just got blown up. So without uh, hesitation, he scurries up into my turret. And uh, being in a Humvee, you're in pretty much confined spaces. You know, Lieutenant Schuler is, is a large man, 230-pound uh, Division One wrestler, and there's a steering wheel in front of him. So as he gets up into the turret, um, starts uh, starts uh, engaging the enemy with the machine gun, expends a lot of ammo. Um, it was my duty at that point. I, while he was doing that, I was uh, taking care of myself. I 
wrapped my hand up real quick. I don't know. You know, I just grabbed something out of my pouch, some gauze or rags or whatever I could find, just to, uh, I wasn't so much worried about the, the bleeding as I was. I, I didn't want to get an infection. So I just wrapped something around real quick to keep any dirt or other uh, debris from entering the uh, the wound. I realized that we're under a pretty severe attack. RPGs were hitting us. I could hear the bullets bouncing off of the armor, and uh, our windshields are all spider-webbed. But no, uh, none of the bullets, none of the rounds penetrated. So uh, the, our armor kept us pretty safe as long as we were inside the vehicle. I grabbed over to uh, where I stored extra ammo. Up on the gun, I had uh, an, em- an empty canister of uh, M16 ammo. Once it's emptied out, it's a pretty nice size uh, container to put the link, the the length of ammunition. You know, we had a belt of uh, 7.62 for the machine gun. So I, I can't remember exactly how many I had in there, but I do remember any time we went out uh, to test fire the weapons or do a little practicing, I would throw a couple more links on, you know, to fill the can up. So whatever our uh, whatever we were rated to carry as far as ammo, uh, we had a little bit more um, just because I had added links on to the belt for, uh, for whenever we would have contact. And we carried another five cans of ammunition inside the vehicle, and I believe there's 200 rounds in each can. So we had well over 1,000 rounds of ammunition just in our vehicle alone. And, uh, you know, Jeff was up there suppressing the enemy and mowing them down, and I'm still hearing, you know, RPGs going off, gunfire bouncing off. It was just a very, uh, you know, you always think about how you're going to react in a situation. And uh, when you're imagining it in your head, uh, things are always ideal for you. You know, I'm going to see the enemy. I'm going to get them before they get us. And I felt like uh, they got the jump on us. You know, they caught us by surprise. And now we're on the uh, we're on the wrong end of this battle. All I can think about is, you know, this is this is is this where I'm going to end up dying? How am I going to die? Are they going to open up the vehicles, overrun us? But uh, because of uh, Jeff's actions, he was able to suppress the enemy, keep their heads down. Uh, we were able to uh, coordinate efforts between other Marines that uh, I believe you uh, know Todd Corbin's story, how he was picking wounded up off the ground. We had severely wounded Marines on the ground. So at this point, I'm like, the only thing I can really do right now from inside this vehicle is to keep that machine gun going. I started opening up cans of ammunition, uh, starting to uh, pull the links of ammo out so that as I handed up a can of ammunition, it would already be ready for uh, Jeff to slap down on the feed tray, close the feed tray cover, and keep rocking that gun. Uh, that I felt uh, we had two tanks with us. I, I could... Uh, hear the sounds of their uh, 50 cals going off, uh, can hear the sound of our 240 going off. Obviously, I'm just below it. But I'm also hearing the ricochet sounds of bullets being deflected off of our vehicle. So I know that the enemy has a beat on us, and I'm just praying that Jeff is uh, quick and accurate with his, his 
gunfire, and he was. Uh, it's sort of, uh, you know, we they, they they caught us by surprise with the ambush, but we uh, we fought back pretty hard and heavy, and we started turning the tide on it to now where our man- Marines can maneuver, pick up the wounded off the ground, uh, get them to the casualty collection point. All of our vehicles, the Humvees, were uh, Victor 1, the one that got hit by the suicide vehicle porn IED. That vehicle was out of commission. I remember Jeff trying to tell me to uh, move our vehicle to get so that he could get into a better position. Uh, he still had some ammunition left. So I remember this is the point where I'm, <laughs> i got to get out of this vehicle now. You know, I'm supposed to expose myself, get out of this safe vehicle, and now open up the door, close it, open up the driver's side door, jump in the driver's seat, and, and move. And I can't see anything out of the windshield, so he's going to have to guide me. I remember opening up the doors and getting behind the wheel, and now I'm ready to move the vehicle. I throw it in drive, and we're not going anywhere. I'm stepping on the gas. I can hear the engine running. I tried to throw the transmission. Maybe if the transmission uh, got kicked loose when Jeff climbed up in the turrets, I tried... Uh, jamming it back into a four-wheel high. Uh, nothing was working. Uh, our vehicle, because of the force of the explosion, the transmission uh, must have been hit. Uh, we were leaking transmission fluid, radiator fluid, everything. Um, the seven-ton was the only vehicle that really survived the uh, the blast. And by surviving, I mean it was able to limp back to the uh, Haditha base when uh, after a 40, we were engaged in the firefight for 40 minutes, we put all the casualties on the uh, bed of the seven-ton. I can't remember the details of where Jeff and Stan were in relation to the vehicle, but I remember laying on the uh, on the body of my vehicle commander. Uh, he had passed away already. His body was cold, and I was just trying to throw down some fire as we were leaving. Uh, we lost uh, Sergeant Marzano, was my vehicle commander. He ended up uh, passing away in the initial explosion. Doc Weiner was also in our vehicle. Uh, he dismounted when we needed to turn around, and he he was also killed in action. Staff Sergeant Priestley was in my vehicle, and he was severely injured. Uh, he's one of the Marines that Todd Corbin carried off the battleground and got him to safety. We lost Sergeant Cepeda. He was a vehicle commander of, I believe it was Victor 2 or uh, Victor 3. I can't remember which Victor he was in. Uh, Sergeant Watkins was the vehicle commander of Victor 1, and uh, he was severely injured as well. Uh, Lance Corporal Graham, obviously the gunner from Victor 1, when that vehicle exploded, uh, had shot him out of the turret, sheared the turret off. So I, I could remember as we were leaving, uh, we wanted to recover the body of, of Lance Corporal Graham, but it would have been at a cost. We had to weigh out the uh, what was going to be best for those wounded. Uh, when I say they were critically wounded, I mean they were hanging on by, uh, by a thread. Um, the corpsman and uh, Air Force and Army and all the branches that that helped uh, get them back. Uh, 
God bless them. But the, we had to make a decision that we needed to get going now before we lost these two Marines. It was but a hard it, decision to make. Um, I believe imp- Corbin... I'm sorry, Mary? It's important to um, note here that um, the tanks were protecting... Right, um, right. I was, I was about yeah. to get to that. Um, based, you know, we had to make a quick decision of what do we do. I felt, uh, I believe Todd Corbin, obviously he was the driver of the vehicle that got us going, so he had to, he had to make a quick decision too. But I, uh, I agree that we, we left, uh, Lance Corporal Graham. It's not like we left him there. We had two tanks that were there. We had another, uh, I believe it, it was Team America that was coming to, uh, to help us out. And we were there for 40 minutes, so I'm sure Team America was dispatched as soon as the explosion went off. Uh, the city of Haditha was just below the dam where our base was, and I'm sure that they could have seen the explosion from the dam. It was a, it was a tremendous hit that we took. Right. But uh, I, so I believe the, the best answer that we could have had was to get the wounded back to base, uh, let the Team America and the tanks recovered the body of Lance Corporal Graham. And and they uh, did they, that within within two minutes. So it wasn't right. they were passing each other <laughs> right there at the hospital. And right. He right. I do remember yeah. seeing them as we were eva- evacuating back to the base to get uh the wounded back to get some help. Uh Team America was rolling in. So that uh, I felt I felt you know, comforted by the fact that we've got Marines here to uh, to guard, safeguard, and bring back Lance right. Corporal Graham to us. Well, Mark, uh, we you know we have to really commend you on on uh, you know explaining what happened. Uh, this half hour is one too fast. Um, we'd like to have you back um, in the very near future. And um, again, people just don't realize how how tough it is to tell a story with your heart pounding, no matter how many times you tell it. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, we want to commend you on that. Um, do you have any? Again, do you have any uh, last words you'd like to say to your listeners out there? In closing, well, I'd like to uh, just let the uh, guys from Map Seven know how much they mean to me. Um, guys that I interacted the most would have been Corporal Mayer and Corporal Schuler. Um, the fact that uh, Aaron Rice, Gunnery Sergeant uh, Brady, Corporal Schuler, um, or Lieutenant Schuler, and uh, Corporal Mayer, at the time Corporal Mayer, that they uh, fought so hard for me to get any recognition. Uh, it's been nine years since that date, and the fact that uh, they're still carrying on this fight to have me recommended for award is just humbling. Um, you know, it's a, the award itself, it's a piece of cloth, but the uh, people behind putting me up for the award, that's, uh, that's the real gift. It means yes. that uh, they really think highly of me and think that what I did deserved some recognition. So I want to thank those, those people. Oh. And Mary right. I want to thank you, too, for being the driving force behind yes. this. 
I'm just yes. a loud mouth here. That's Def- <laughs> definitely. If you missed any of our shows, all our shows are archived on demand 24-7 on the AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. And yes, you can hear all the archived shows right from your phone. And remember, the American Heroes Network Radio spotlights and promotes the best available information of interest to all our veterans and families anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Thanks, Bill, and thanks again to our guests, Mark and Meriwether. Uh, I'm your host, Gary Ray. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday for another great show. You're listening to the American Heroes Network Radio, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and have a great week. Thanks again. Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are America, and we truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation. Thanks to you, we're living free. We're a quilt of many colors.